So um, today we're going to talk about the miracle of finance and provision. The miracle of finance and provision. So we continue the series on uh, when pigs fly. You know, um, this is one of the easiest topic for me. So I didn't really have to prepare much. You know, it's just that's confession. And thank God, you know, because this week, you know, there's a lot of things going on, and so. You know, I don't usually have my schedule, uh, a quiet time, and so forth, but praise God, you know, it just happened to be on this topic, and it's one of, one of the topics that really had ministered to me and my family, and we lived it and lived it and seen and proven it. So I'm just going to speak from my heart, amen? And uh, you know, God is a good God. You know, before I share anything about the miracle of finance, I just need you to know the, uh, a few things. Number one is that whatever we say we need to assume that God is a good God. He's not a, you know, okay God. He's not an uh, apathetic God. He is a good God. And what that means is that he will not leave you alone and undone on your own. He is always there to protect. He's always there to provide. He's always there to give you that, that, that assurance of provision and so, you know, as a father would not allow his children to grow hungry, neither would the heavenly father in heaven would allow you to go hungry because you are his children. He cares for you. The devil might want to put fear into a heart of lack because of some of the experiences that you and I may have in the past of lacking. The devil may try to convince us that God is not there. He is not there. He just left us. If he was there, he, would just, he had just left us alone on earth to struggle on our own. That's not true. The God we serve is a good God. He cares for you. You can ask from the youngest to the oldest who have experienced the provision and the miracle of God. They'll tell you that there are times that when, when it seems like it's almost impossible, some miracle would happen. And I want to share with you today. So you got to assume when, you, when it comes to the miracle of provision and finances is that God is always a good God and He is gracious. He's not here to punish you. He's not here to looking for ways to punish you. Sometimes, you know, when our car breaks down, you know, or our, you know, house, got whatever, uh, uh, air condition broken down. Uh, the human natural tendency is that, oh, maybe I've done something. God is punishing me. Are you here? No, he's not like that. He's not into that kind of business. Yes, he's a good God. And he loves you. He wants to provide for you. So that's number one, the first thing I want to say. The second thing is this. I want you to pay attention to this. We are not raising money in this church. I know a lot of times when, I'm not trying to judge other people, a lot of times we preachers, you know, when, when you hear people talking about, you know, miracle finance, they have some kind of special projects, you know, building funds or whatever, nothing. In fact, there's no offerings being received after this sermon, Okay. You can relax. Turn to your neighbor and say, relax. <laughs> You're okay, right? Yeah. Amen. So, uh, number three is that we are not preaching about the love of money. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 10 says, The love of money, the love of money is the root of all evil. Money itself may not be the, it's not the root of all evil. You need money. You need money to buy groceries. You need money to pump your gas, especially these days. The gases keep on going up, you know. You need money to do different things. So money itself is not bad. But the love of it, 
when you fall in love with money, when it's the focus of your life, what's that mean? It means that you find your identity, you find your security, you find everything about you is based on how much you have in your bank. And so you work hard, you, you try to squeeze as much money as possible from your work or whatever. If you're a business, you know, you try to cut corners and, and make an extra bucks. That's not what we're talking about. The love of money is the root of all evil and has caused much headaches and much confusion and much sorrow. When you live in the provision of God, you don't need to love money because God will supernaturally supply to your needs. My family and I, and even this church, some of the people who have been around for a while, you know that we don't, we, you know, we're not here, to, we never brace money when we, we're running out of cash, you know. Like I always say, if God can't pay his bills, we don't want to do it, right? And so you will never hear me. You know, I shouldn't say never, you know, that's I never say never, right? So, you, you know, I have, you know, so many of you have been coming for a while. You said, you've never heard me said, you know, we need some cash. We need some money. Let's raise some money and, you know, please, otherwise, you know, we're going to close down. Not, nothing like that, right? right? Can I hear an amen? amen. So if, if we run out of money, we'll send a notification that we can't pay our bills. See you all later. Go to another church, you know, like if God can't pay his bills, which means something else he's doing, right? Okay. Number four is this. We don't serve God. We, we, we serve God and worship Him. Now, watch this. We do not serve God and worship Him to get money. Turn with me to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 3 to 5. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, verse 4, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions. Verse 5, that's what we want to, I want to focus on. And constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived from the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. You may have heard people say, you know, you need to be godly, you need to be holy, you need to follow all the rules, then you'll be blessed. That's religious mindset. Godliness is not a means of gain. Godliness with contentment is actually great gain. In other words, you don't even need anything. But that will be the next verse, but we're not going to focus on it. We'll focus on this. Godliness is not a means of gain. In fact, the opposite should be true. Let me explain. Many people have been taught, and I included been taught, that we serve God to get money. We give to get wealth. We, we follow the rules. We please God Almighty to get wealth. Then you're not serving the right God. He doesn't need a cent from you. Right? If he wants to bless you, he bless you. But the opposite should be true, is that I do what I do to finance me serving God. God doesn't serve me to serve the world or myself. But I do what I do so that I can serve God. That's the preface of what I, I'm going I'm to be preaching from. Your job, in other words, 
finances your calling. You didn't get that. Your paycheck finances your calling. If you live along that line, you will see that God is just going to prosper you. But your mindset is not on a prosperity God. I remember, I knew always that I was going to be in full-time ministry, you know. But the closer to the time that I'm about to go into full-time ministry, in other words, I started to get more involved in church, and I started to preach, and I started to be more, you know, hang out in church longer, come to church more often. The closer I was to my full-time ministry calling, and I knew there was going to be a full-time ministry calling, the closer I was, I realized that, you know, I was spending a lot of time, and not only a lot of time, a lot of my income in church ministry. You know, I, I, was, I was serving as associate pastors in a church, you know, in a Pentecostal church, you know, and uh, they, they didn't pay me, well, they paid me something, but my, my tithes and giving was higher than all the elders in the church. Can you believe that? And so, you know, the more I begin to serve God, the more I'm closer to the kingdom, the more God started to prosper me. People gave me promotion when I didn't expect to have promotion. Why? Because my job was a means to finance my calling. And when your job, when you look at your job, your job is not your career. A lot of people say, you know, be a career, you know, da 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 blah, blah. Well, There's nothing wrong with that. But if you want to walk in the supernatural finances, you have to shift your thinking, know what is your calling, number one. And number two is that your job, you go to work every morning, is to serve God. Why? Because your job is to finance your calling. And if you don't look at your job as a finance to your calling, but you look at your job as a means to pay bills, then you will always be struggling. You will always feel that like there's not enough. But if your job is like, man, I, I, want, I want to make money, you know, so that, man, I can serve God. I can hang out on Thursday and Tuesday and Wednesday at church, you know, do the work of ministry. My passion is to serve God. Then you'll find that God is going to start opening up opportunities and doors for you to serve Him. The more you do, the more heavens will open to encourage you, to push you towards your calling. Can I hear an amen? amen. Come on, let's praise the Lord together. Now let's get started. Like most people, most people in this world, money can be tight. If your money is not tight, then you're not normal. We all experience some kind of tightness in our money. There's no, you know, I always say this to myself. I, you know, I come up with this line. I don't know, maybe I heard of some of them, but I always say it to myself. Uh, there's always, um, uh, is it too much to spend and too little money to have. Too much to spend. Too many things to spend on. You know, you, you, you know my, my wife and I celebrated our 21 anniversary, wedding anniversary last week. 21 years. And we celebrated Kanji Queen. No, I'm just kidding. No, no, that's not good. <laughs> That's not good. You yeah, no no no. We didn't do that. So we went to have um. We went to a steakhouse. You know, and it's called Michael's. You know, and I wouldn't advise that because I don't know. The, the people. You know, the people. There's so much money in the city. So much money. And I was looking at the menu. You know. You know what the one of the most expensive item on the menu, the steak steakhouse. It was a Kobe certified steak. Do you know how many of what that is? Kobe certified. I mean, I even never heard of that before. 
And it was $1,290. $1, I took a picture. I took a picture. I took a picture of that. I, <laughs> no, we didn't spend that kind of money. <laughs> I took a picture. You know, the funny thing is that one of uh, Juana's, um, uh, uh, one of her colleagues who, who, who uh, reported to her, and she, uh, uh, he, he came from a very well-off family himself and from Vancouver, you know, and, and he heard that Juana wanted to go to have a steakhouse, so he introduced Juana to this steakhouse called Jacob. I don't know if you heard of Jacob, another crazy place. And so we were, we were kind of, you know, Googling Jacob, you know, find out, you know, what the menu is to try and check out the price, right? And it was like, you know, uh, six-ounce steaks for $800. It's like, no, we're not going there. <laughs> we are not going there. So, you know, we decided to go for, you know, a much more, we thought it was a much more modest uh, steakhouse. And, and lo and behold, you know, crazy things. You know, every time when you have more money, there will be more opportunity to spend money. You know, like, You'd be, like, you'd be super happy living in a three-bedroom condominium or whatever, and then you have some money. Now you need to have a house with granite countertop, Shandai, hardwood floor. I mean, it never really occurred to us that we need that when I was 21 years old. Carpet was just fine. And all of a sudden, you want to buy China. Like, what's that, you know? And then, uh, and, then you, and then you have to have three-car garage for your two cars and a boat. I mean, you know, every time when you have increase of money, there's always something you need to spend on. I tell you, like that, you know, in the city, you have so much money. People have so much money. And you know, it, you know it's expensive to, to get married, but I tell you, it's expensive to die also. <laughs> you, you know, we just spend tons of money this week. It's like, whoa. We spend more money on death than when we got married. I mean, it's ridiculous. Anyways, money is always tight. You might be a single parent on limited income raising multiple kids, some of you. Uh, you, you know, some people say, I have more month than money, you know. That's true, you know. That's more month than money. It's really funny. You know, people with six-figure income. Income is strong. Expenses always are high. You send your kids to, to Upper Canada College. You know why? But anyways, praise God, you know. <laughs> it's like, God bless you, Upper Canada College. You know, Bishop Strong or whatever right, for the lady, for the girls. But, you know, there's more, always more expenses. You know, uh, well, university debt. And, and I heard one of my, uh, one of my uh, nephews, nieces or whatever, one of my relatives' children or whatever, and uh, they were talking about student debt. By the time they finished, they're going to owe tens and tens of thousands of dollars. Wow. Money is tight. You know, there are countless of examples in the scripture of also people felt money was tight. And there was this amazing fear that they didn't have enough to live on. But you will notice in the scriptures in the Bible, in every Example of need, N-E-E-D, not W-A-N-T, N-E-E-D, every story of need, there is always following a story of miracle. Miracle of amazing provision. And when God supplies, he doesn't just supply a morsel just so that you have just enough. 
He supply you abundantly. More than enough. We're going to go through some of them. You know, uh, you, remember, you remember the time when, uh, when Jesus, two, that's twice, Jesus was preaching in the wilderness, you know. In those days, they don't have Rogers Center or, or um, Air Canada Center, you know. And, and so, you know, uh, when there's a big crowd of crusade, everybody goes to the wilderness because there's no building there. And there's like, you know, there's a lot of space that people can sit in the grass. And, but usually they have to travel a bit of ways to go to the wilderness. And Jesus will preach day and night. You know, you think my sermon is long, my I tell Jesus, preach all day long, day and night, you know. So when Jesus was preaching, the first time there were about 5,000 men, second time 4,000. So you multiply by three on average because they always have kids and all that. And they bring the kids to church, you know, they bring, and, and so they will be hungry. And so what happened? The first time when God provided... Uh, for that 15,000 people to eat from uh, two fishes and five loaves of bread, how many baskets was left? Twelve, Twelve baskets full. One for each disciples to take home. That's a takeout for them. That is not true, but I'm just saying that 12 baskets. I was going to say there's some privilege to serve God, you know. Maybe the reason is 12 gods, maybe God wants them to take them all home to mommies, you know. See, there's reward to serve God, you know. But anyways, but the 12 baskets full. Every time when God provides is always more than enough. Everybody say more than enough. Yeah. Amen. Yeah, sometimes we try to conjure up our own provision and our own provision just enough. It's just enough. Woo, I just made it through the mind. Glory to Jesus. Right? But when God provides, it will be so much more that you go, Ooh, what do I do with the money? Hmm, praise the Lord. Maybe another iPad or something, you know. More than enough. Praise God, you know. So we want to learn how to live under the provision. And uh, he multiplied for the second time, you know. Uh, he, he, he fed 4,000 men. There will probably be 12,000 people. How many baskets do you remember? Seven. Seven baskets full. If you remember Prophet Elisha talking to the widow, you know. And uh, that story went like this widow is like run out of money because, you know, she ran out of cash, have nothing. And so she came and then Prophet Elisha went to her home, you know. And then Prophet says, I'm hungry. Actually, didn't go to her house. Saw her picking up sticks. She was picking up sticks in the wilderness. The reason she was picking up sticks was because she was going to go home and prepare her last meal with the last morsel of flour that she had and oil to make a bread and have a last meal and then die with her son. That was, condition, that was the condition of Israel at the time. And Elisha saw her. You know, I'm sure he's a man of God, had word of knowledge, word of wisdom, whatnot, right? And then Elisha said, you know, I want you to feed me. And this woman said, are you kidding me? I'm about to have my last meal. What, 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 what's going on? And so you know the story. Elisha encouraged her. She did it. She followed the Lord. We're just going to talk more about that later on. And then God supplied her bountifully. More than enough. Until the point that she had no more vessels to contain the blessings. And if you remember uh, the prophet Elijah, he, she experienced, he experienced bread from heaven. You know, a raven brought meat to her. And also, you know, the people, the people in Israel, right, when they were hungry, you know, God supplied them manna and for them and quail, so much so that there was such an abundance, they thought they would want to keep it and put it in storage. They didn't have any 
fridge at the time, you see. They try to keep it, and, and, and you know, it, it gone bad. But, you know, people would just bring supplies so much more than they need. It's really interesting that a lot of us, and I included, have this mentality of trying to save up just in case we don't have enough. And I'm not knocking saving. I'm a saver, right? That's the right way to save it. That's a way of fear. So when you have fear to save, that's a different mode. And, you know, we, we all need to be delivered from that, me included, right? And so when you, you know, the, the people of Israel, the reason they were gathering more than they needed is because they were worried that God would not be as faithful tomorrow as today. And so just in case he doesn't send down the quail and the manna, we have enough to eat. That's the mindset that we need to get rid of because if God is faithful yesterday, He will be faithful today. Everybody say, God's faithfulness. Come on, say, God's faithfulness is new every morning. Do you understand what that means? His faithfulness is new every morning. If He was faithful to you yesterday, He'll be faithful to you today. He'll be faithful to you tomorrow. He'll be faithful to you forevermore. He is faithful. We used to sing the song, the steadfast love, steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercy never comes to an end. They're new every morning. But the scripture actually says the faithfulness of God is also new every morning. In every story of need, there is a miracle of provision. And when the need comes, you need to decide if you want God to provide or you don't trust Him enough and you try to provide for yourself. Philippians chapter 4 verse 19 says, My God will meet all your needs. All your needs. Every need of yours. According to His riches in glory in Christ Jesus. His riches in glory is bountiful. It's a lot. I hope, you know, in this, in this, in this introduction, it's still kind of like at the beginning of the sermon, you will be convinced that your God has a lot to give. He has a lot to give. He has more to give than you can imagine. He wants to bless you and bless you and bless you and bless you. It is, it is, it is not His will that you live in poverty, from poverty to poverty forever. No. He said, what about those missionaries? You know, you know if you hear stories of missionaries, they were blessed. They chose to live among the poor. But the money they raised are in millions. I'm thinking about Heidi Baker, right? You know, she lived in the slums with the poor. But her ministry got millions. Millions. They're building a, uni a university, for goodness sake. That's huge. The, the God we serve has lots. How you want to live your lifestyle is how you want to live your lifestyle. You know, some of us want to be comfortable. Glory to God. I'm digressing again. I love comfort. I just, I just I'm sorry. You say you're so unspiritual. It's not, it's not true. You know, there are people in this church, I think they're crazy because they like to go camping. Like, really, why? So that you can have experience of pain? I mean, seriously? I heard a sister say, if God wanted me to suffer, He wouldn't have let me born in this day and age where there's five-star hotel. 
Shut <laughs> Some people think suffering is for Jesus. Oh, I'm suffering for Jesus. Honey, you just wanted to go there yourself. Nobody told you to. I, I don't want to, I want to invalidate all the sacrifices a lot of missionaries have made. But I tell you, some of the missionaries, it's just a secret between you and I, okay? Because we were in a mission field. <laughs> we know what's going on. I remember when we were in, in Malaysia, in Penang, you know, we, we of course, know all the missionary families, they were kind of part of the work for the Assemblies of God there. And, and um, those homes of the missionaries, they're not living in like some hut. Right? My sister can tell you. We went to, there's this, there's this missionary so-called, his, I'm not going to mention his name. He's got marble floor. He lived like a king. You know, he raised money in America, right? And, uh, and then you can take that to Malaysia and you can multiply that a million times. You can live like a king. I would be a missionary for that, Shandai. Why not? I totally digress, sorry. I love this topic, you know. <laughs> um, God is a giver of all good things, provides abundantly. Now, I want you to pay attention to this. God promised that He would supply all your needs, but He never promised that He would supply all your wants, imagination, and, and desires. It doesn't mean He won't, but He never promised that every fantasy you have. You know, I, I've heard preachers talk about, oh, you know, if you could just, if you could just, uh, you just, you know, God is going to give you roses. He may, but that's never a promise. I heard preachers and, and God bless them, whatever. And, you know, I'm not knocking anybody. I mean, if it works for them, it's great. But I, I searched the scripture. He is a God who supply abundantly. He wants you to live in wealth. He wants you to prosper in all things. It is true. But if that's your focus, I need to remind you that He will supply your needs. He may bless you with all your wants. And that's another preach sermon that we can preach about in the future. But I want to guarantee you this. David says this, I have been young and now I'm old. I have never seen a man of God, a righteous one, ever begging for bread. What he's saying is that God will supply, always supply for your needs. You can guarantee, you can take that to the bank. You can take that to the bank. Now, that's the difference between need and one. Let me break it down for you for a few minutes. We need clothes. We need clothes. But we want designer handbag. Coach. Kate Spade. Kate Spade. And then what else? Perry, Mary, what? Whatever. Louis, Louis Vuitton, my goodness. It's what, like one of those $1,200 steaks that mean, cut meaningless. But anyways, if you have that, please, oh, I'm sorry. I maybe have offended you. If you have coach, my wife has coach, you know. I remember one year, she never had a coach purse, you know. And uh, I was telling somebody in this house, I think it was Rochelle. You're so bad. I was telling Rochelle... I, and then I was saying, okay, I just think, I'm, I'm thinking of getting a coach purse for my wife. She's like, what? You should get the, you should, you should get the purse. No, she, no, wallet. I was going to get a coach wallet. 
That was 100 bucks. That's the biggest money we've ever spent on wallet. It's usually $5 on some whatever, byway at the time, you know, whatever. So I said, man, I'm just going to surprise her and impress her with this coach wallet. She's like, what? You need to do the wallet and the purse together. You know what peer pressure is like, right? It's like, I can't say no because I look like an idiot if I do and I jerk, you know? So, okay, all right. Okay, so, you know, I spend the money and I gave it to her. Say, oh, it's so nice. I can't remember. It's, you know, anyway, it's Sunday. <laughs> but God never promised a coach wallet or a purse. He promised you that you have money. How are you going to store it? It's your business, right? Now, we need rest. We have to have rest. This church is about rest. We preach about rest. I'm writing this book that I can never finish. I'm, you know, the, the sermon on rest. It's just, I keep going. It's like, it's so hard. You know, we're trying to transcribe the, anyway. So, and Shandai. So, but, but God promised that you have rest. That's your portion. That's your inheritance. But He never promised a big five-star vacation at a five-star resort. Or Walt Disney Cruise, Shandai. It'd be nice. I heard something good about it. We need shelter, but we want granite countertops, wood floors, 4K TV. Now it's not even 4K anymore. They have like some whatever. Okay? For, yeah. Fully, yeah, good for you. Yeah. <laughs> so that's the difference between what we need and what we want. Now, I'm not saying God is not going to bless you with what you want. He will give you the desire of your heart, but you got to you got to serve him, right? Your heart is going to be towards him. Now, three principles of God' miraculous provision. Number one is when God guides, He always provides. It's like this church. The reason I say when we don't have the money to pay the bills anymore, let's all pack up and go home. It's because it would be an indication that we are done here. You know, life is too short to try to do things that's not in the will of God. Come on, can I hear an amen? You can strive and strive and strive and strive and try to raise money and beg people and strive and strive and may live in anxiety, live in fear. Oh my gosh, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. Oh Lord, help. Oh, help. There's some, nothing wrong with that, praise God. But you know, if He guides you, He will provide for you. I can, I can, not almost, I can for sure guarantee that. A lot of times it's not the guidance of God. Like buying a coach purse and then put yourself in a debt. There's no guide of God. It's guide of Rochelle. And that's not the will of God sometimes. It may be sometimes, right? Where is Chris Chong? Take note. Have you bought your wife? Where did the guy go? Oh, yeah, he's so convenient downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> oh, we're having so much fun here. Amen. You know, Isaiah chapter 58, verse 11 said, The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs 
in a sun-scorched land. God doesn't provide for all your dreams, but he provides for his will. If it's his will, he provides. You know, a lot of times we, we claim things that are the blessings of God, but they're not. Because when we possess those blessings, it brings great sorrow into our hearts. Because you possess them and now you have to keep them going. I remember when I was a kid, a kid, young man, you know, in, you know, still haven't been full-time ministry. I was in, in sales, you know, in business. And so you get a chance to, t- you know, you hang out with all the big boys, big shots, you know, expensive food, you know, on the companies, right? Praise the Lord, right? You know. And so, you know, just, and then, and then one day I was sitting in this Jaguar. You know, at the time Jaguar was big, right? I don't know if it's still big today. Is it still big? I don't know. But I was sitting in this Jaguar with the CEO. He was driving with us to go and, I don't know, golfing or whatever, right? So I was sitting there and, so I said, you know, wow, I never sat in a Jaguar before. And by the way, it's overrated. But I just water. And uh, so, um, uh, so I was sitting there, and, you know, so he started talking about the maintenance of Jaguar. He said, this, this beast suck up a lot of money, and you have to pay, pay oodles of money just to maintain it. And so, you know, and, then, and I said, wow, you know, that's, that's really hard, you know. Like, why would anybody want to buy it? And this is what he said was really interesting. He said, if you can't afford the maintenance, means you can't afford the car. A lot of people just buy the car, and they can't afford the maintenance. And they use, like, you know, masking tape just to keep it together. <laughs> Some of them might think God is not coming through for me. You know, my house payment, my car payment, vacation, still paying off Christmas. How many of you are still paying off? Don't raise your hands, you know. <laughs> Some of the people are still paying off Christmas meal. Recognize this. Maybe God met your needs, and you spent it on what you want. His provision is not a, listen, get out of jail, free card for our decisions. Dumb decisions sometimes. But the good news is this, he's a good God, he's gracious. He will, you will always have the next opportunity, next chance. When God directs you, he provides for you. If we pursue his will, his provision will follow. When God directs our steps, He always puts provision in our path. When God guides, He provides. When God guides, He When God guides, He When God guides, He provides. Number two. God miraculously multiplies what is given by man. Sometimes God does it all. He's, he, he, will, he will send manna. He will send, uh, you know, uh, quail. Sometimes God does it all. But often, He wants us to take part in the miracle and get us involved in the miracle by testing our faith, by building our faith through our giving. What does he do? He asks you to give. He multiplies what you give. When, when did God multiply the widow's oil? Elisha again. Remember the story? The widow had to give something so that God can use it to start pouring out into her life. 
When did God multiply the loaves and fishes? When a boy gave his entire lunch. Can you imagine the boy, like a typical boy? That boy is special, man, I tell you. Like, you know, Matthew, he's not here. Matthew, he would not let you touch his food. Then I would say to him, man, I pay for it. I should have the right to tax it, right? You know, sometimes he'll be, he loves instant noodle, which is a bad habit, right? And, he, you know, he, he loves instant noodle. So he would make himself, you know, after, you know, we give, give him only one opportunity instant noodle. That would be Monday after school, just one day. One day a week instant noodle. So he, he would be coming home, he's really looking forward to it, you know, and he'd make himself an instant noodle with all the sauce. And he also had his own formulas in there, you know, and, and then he has his own instant noodle, and he would sit down. And then I walk by, I say, Taxing time, and he'll go, Oh, come on! <laughs> and I said, Dude, man, I pay for this. <laughs> so, needless to say, it's very hard for kids to share their food, especially when they're growing. You know, he's, he's you know, this boy probably in the growing age, you know, like, you know, he needs to eat all the food that he can get his hands on. And yet, he took it to Jesus. That's my lunch that was packed for me. But Jesus, whatever you want to do, maybe you can eat it yourself. The boy had no idea that lunch would be multiplied. He had no idea. All he wanted to do was just to help out and give sacrificially. And today we're talking about him 2,000 years later. God multiplies what you give. Okay? When Abraham did become the father of, when did, when did Abraham become the father of nations? When he offered the first only son. That's when God gave him the promise. In Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for the food, he usually supply two things. Will supply and multiply your seed. Whose seed is it? Your seed. Whose seed is it? Your seed. Whose seed is it? Your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. The principle goes all the way back to tithing. Ooh, that's a sensitive topic right there. Tithing is before the law. A lot of people say, I'm not living under the law. Well, this is not part of the law. It started way thousands of years before law even got introduced. Tithing, I mean. When Abraham gave his tithe to King Melchizedek, the king of Salem, the king of Jerusalem, uh, that uh, our people believe was Jesus. He gave tithes to, nobody prompted him, he gave, and, and, and king of Salem, Melchizedek, blessed him. One of the best ways, the way we acknowledge to the Lord is our provider is by worshiping him every time he gives us an increase. What is a tithe? Tithe really is returning to God 10% what he had trust us with. The tie is his anyways, the Bible says. You're not actually giving it to him. You're just obeying him and say, okay, the scripture says it belongs to you. 10%. Some say, oh my goodness. God said, if you don't believe me, put me to test. Malachi chapter 3 verse 10. This is the only time that God permits people to test him. The only time. Awfully quiet. That's why I can say that I can give you a contract. 
If you are interested in having a contract about tithing, go talk to Pastor Marlies. <laughs> she was supplied with a contract. I was supplied with a contract. She was supplied. Just talk to her. I don't know how many contracts I need to print. If you are a believer, born-again believers, your heart is right before God. You just you love Jesus, but you are afraid. You, you cannot take a first step. I promise you this, is that we will have a contract with you. You give with all your hearts, although you need to track your income and so forth, right? Everybody has to be honest, right? So we'll, we'll guarantee you that if you try giving for three months, it, not giving, tithing three months, and nothing changed, we'll give you back all your money that you tithe. Right now, it's recorded on video. You say, well, you're pretty sure of yourself. I'm very sure of it. I know it works, and it works always. It works for thousands of years. It works for my home. It works for my family. I'm not in debt. Everything is paid for in my home, Shandai. No debt, man. Do you know how free it is without any debt? Free like a bird. It's awesome. He said, put me to test. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. And then put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. A lot of people focus the tithe on the curses. If you don't, you don't tithe, you'll be cursed. We have been redeemed from the curse of the law. Can I hear an amen? You have been redeemed from the curse of the law. So no curse will come on you. Don't believe anything that people tell you. But I'm not talking about curse. I'm talking about blessings. And he had, he had you know, you know he said, why, why does God need 10%? Can you imagine? If he asked for 20, you'll blow you away. You know, you pay more taxes than you pay God. Some of us at an income level that is 50% plus, Shandai. But when you pay the government, there's no return. I will assure you that. They take and take and take and take. We talk about obeying the will of God. The scripture is the word of God. Tithing is the word of God. So anyway, so if you are not too sure, you say, oh, pastor, you know, we have a sister sitting here, you know, she was sharing a testimony in a small group, you know, and I use her all the time. Every time I go preaching in other churches, I use her as, a, as an example because it was so dramatic. It's pretty amazing. I haven't had the permission to mention her name right now, so that's why I'm not going to mention her name. But I remember the first time she was tithing, man, she was shaking her boots, you know, like shaking in her boots. Like, I don't know. She turned around and said, I don't know either. I prayed to God, oh, Jesus, please, please, please let it work, let it work, you know. <laughs> But it worked. It worked. And it's going to work for you. Some people say, I don't have money to give. If you have money, then that's not faith anymore. If you have enough to give, then that wouldn't be faith, would it? Are you here this morning? If you want to experience miracles, you do things that you, 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 you can't do personally with your own strength and your own resources. Some people, you know, I have to be honest with you, for me, tithing is no longer a faith thing. I don't need to believe in God for provision. It's not anymore. He has so abundantly supplied for my family. I don't even think twice. It's become part of my lifestyle. 
So it's not faith. It's not like, oh, Lord, I hope it works. And God wants to lead you to the place where it's no longer a faith thing when you tithe. It's be so easy. God multiplies what we give. In every story of giving, there's a miracle of provision. So let me conclude with this. When God guides, He provides. If we pursue His will, His provision will follow. When God directs your steps, He always puts provision in your path. Number two, God miraculously multiplies what is given. What you keep is all you have. But what you give, God will multiply. Now let me address this. Fear versus faith. Fear asks, what if I run out of money? Faith asks, what do I have to give? Fear says, I don't have enough. Faith says, God, my God is more than enough. Fear says, I can't afford to tithe. Faith says, 90% with God's blessing goes a lot further than 100% without God's blessing. Some people say, I can't afford to obey God. Honey, you cannot afford not to obey God. You can't afford it. Someone say, I don't have enough to give. Again, I says, that's the best time to give. That's when your faith is being put to test. When you have more than enough to give, that's not faith anymore. That's something else. It's still worship nonetheless. God is still going to be faithful with His words. But faith is a powerful thing. You know, my wife and I have run to a few occasions. I remember a number of years ago, we had this meeting. And I was praying, you know, there was like a, you know, a church was paying me very little at the time. My church was small. I was down and in a service, you know, and my wife was sitting beside me. And uh, I felt the Lord said, you need, you know, what do you need? I say, I want to be free from debt. I don't want to pay for my car. I don't want to have debt in my house. And some of my credit card debts need to go. And then I want to have X amount of dollars in my investment. I mean, I, one can always wish, right? And I remember, they, you know, there was, um, they weren't, this pastor is pretty good. He didn't receive any offering. And so somebody else came while he was taking a break. It was a whole day session. So he was, he was taking his break, and somebody a uh, guest speaker came and started to preach and, and he stopped. He said, the Lord tells me you, we need to bless this pastor. And so, so you need to ask the Lord what it is you want and then you give what he directs in your heart. So I, I told the Lord this is what I wanted. That was, that was about five years ago. 2008. And we were in Texas. And so I said, I said, God, what do I want? And he dropped a number into my heart. And I go, that's a bit too much. <laughs> Forget it. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Let's ask Juana. Maybe she say no, then we know, right? <laughs> and so, so, uh, so uh, my wife did not cooperate with my desire. She's like, okay, whatever. I said, what? What do you mean? You should stop me. So anyways, we gave. I'll tell you this. All our dreams and desire has been fulfilled. I will stand here now as a living testimony to you that it works. You want to live month by month, struggle with money every month, student debts, whatever. You can continue to do that. People survive and live well. You're still going to go to heaven. Hello. You are. 
And I wouldn't know because, you know, I don't check ties. You know, I don't go count money, whatever. I try to stay away from the money in this church. Like, ugh. And you say, well, don't you sign the uh, income tax receipt? I want to tell you a secret. It's actually printed. <laughs> we scan my signature in, and then it's just printed out on the receipt. You know, go out, check it out, go home. It's not real signature, but it's legitimate and legal nonetheless. But I want to tell you this. Nobody's going to bother you unless you want to sign a contract, then we'll, we'll have to keep track. Right? I mean, that's fair, right? You need to... You know, some people, you know, anyway, so, so if you want to, you, you know, nobody's going to bother, nobody, nobody's going to look down on you if you don't tie, you don't give, I wouldn't know. Pastor Marley's been actually the way, so, so I wouldn't know. <laughs> no. You know, their counters, we have different counters every Sunday. They take turn. So, you know, different people do different things. So, anyways, my point is this, nobody knows. It's between you and God. It's your business. But I'm telling you, it works. It works all the time. And so, you know, if you want to trust God, you know, some people say, you know, like, I, I just don't have money. I'll ask this. How is it working for you so far? You managing your own money. How is it working for you? Is it great? Because I tell you this, for me, I'm not the smartest person in the block. My sister will tell you that I always get the worst marks at home. I'm a laughing stock in my parents' church. It's true. Ask them. They do this to me, peace. Which means peace is like that, right? First and second. My peace is like that. So I'm not the smartest guy on the block. But I probably may be the wealthiest guy now. I think. I don't know. I feel that way anyways. I'm not trying to boast. I'm going to tell you, it doesn't need your brain. It needs your faithfulness. It needs your faith in God. And to that, He will bless you. And you know, when He blesses you, your family is going to go, oh, how come you're so rich? And they're going to kind of start to speculate, oh, because this, because that, because, oh, he had a lottery, whatever, oh, blah, 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 whatever, right? But I'll tell you this, my testimony has always been giving. Giving always works. Giving always open door. Would you please stand this morning?